0: Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Neri Zilber, your host. I'm a journalist based in Tel Aviv, and more importantly for our purposes today, a new policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum. I hope everyone listening had a restful and relaxing, and most importantly, a healthy Jewish high holidays over the past month. Uh, September, we have to admit, was a wash, Uh, maybe all across America and the world for uh, those observing, uh, but especially in Israel where life, and particularly political life, uh, grounds to a halt, almost shuts down during the holiday season, Uh, but now we're after the holidays, as I say here in Israel, and we're back to reality, first full week back at work for most people here, and it's a good opportunity to take stock of where we're at. Uh, Where do things stand now in Israel with a new and unlikely government? led by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Uh, The government is just over 100 days old. And really, what has it done so far? How are things going? And where are things headed? Uh, So this is what we're hoping to get into in today's episode. And I think we have a great person with us today to help us make sense of it all. Tal Shalev, uh, the Chief Political Correspondent at Wallon News, a longtime friend of Israel Policy Forum from past uh, podcasts and webinars, And really, for my money, one of the best political reporters in Israel today. Hi, Tal. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Neri, and good morning, everyone. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, Happy to have you, Tal. Uh, So, Tal, first question, really, uh, how are the holidays on your end? It was almost a full month back to back to back to back holidays. uh, The Knesset was out of session. Very little political news happening, maybe save for a jailbreak Uh, At the start, during Rosh Hashanah in the north, but really very little politics. Did you take a break? Were you able to take a break?
1: Well, you know, um, news companies are like monsters, so it's difficult to take a break. They keep on wanting to eat even if there's no news. But you're right. Generally, there have been very little news in the past month. Um, We did have some peaks, just to say that at the beginning of September, for instance, the Government passed uh, the budget in its first reading, which was a very significant uh, event, like on the political level. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, we had the uh, escape from the prison, and of course, I think the highlight of the month was uh, Naftali Bennett's first appearance at the u uh, n General Assembly um at the end of September. You know, in many countries, that event is not necessarily very significant. But here in Israel, since Netanyahu made it such a big deal in the past uh, 12 years, his uh, year, annual appearances at the UNGA. So from ne- Naftali Bennett's point of view, this was a significant event as well. Um, but yeah, we're now back in business. I, I got to say, it, it, at large, if we talk about this new government, One of the things that uh, I think um, we can say about it, that it's a bit boring. Not to say that they don't have little problems, but they're trying to solve their problems in a very different manner than what we've grown used to um, under Netanyahu. So if you put together the boredom of the holidays and the fact that the government is trying to keep the tones down and to have a, a civic way of fighting and having political quarrels, um, then to get all to all in all, I'm I'm happy that we're back uh, in business and that the holidays are over and that there's some action starting to, you know, be part of the system now.
0: Right. Some action to uh, to feed the beast. Uh, we'll get into all the things you mentioned here. It's a good introduction, uh, the boredom of the holidays and the boredom, quote unquote, of the new government. That was uh, arguably one of their objectives. I think the Lapid uh, the foreign minister and head of Yesh Atid and really one of the, you know, the architect of this government uh, during the campaign in the spring said, you know, it would be a good thing if Israelis woke up in the morning and were were just bored by the news and were bored by their government that uh, ostensibly goes to work. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, but let's start off there. Just to right?
1: say that to first start, start that political reporters are bored because we've grown used to having, you know, never-ending elections in the past two and a half years, but also to having a very different style of governance. So um, we are definitely bored, I will say.
0: Right. Uh, be careful what you wish for, Tal. <laughs>
1: be careful. I remember, I remember
0: the, the all the elections. Uh, so let's start off there. Uh, the Knesset winter session just started this week after the holiday break. You were up there uh, covering it earlier this week. Uh, as we said, the Bennett led government is just over 100 days old. Uh, We have to remind our listeners it came to power this past summer, uh, deposed Bibi Netanyahu in dramatic fashion. Uh, And really, even Bennett last week at the UN said this was a political accident, that all these disparate parties from the Left-wing uh, pro-peace parties like Merits and Labor and centrist parties like Yeshatid, led by Yair Lapid, and uh, Benny Gantz's party, uh, Blue and White, as well as Naftali Bennett's uh, right-wing Yamina party and other right-wing factions, uh, as well as a Islamist Arab party, all came together uh, for the sole purpose of toppling Bibi and, and forming this new coalition government that holds a one-seat majority in the Knesset. Uh, but really, all these circumstances put together, uh, Bennett called it a political accident. We could also—he didn't say this in the speech—but we could also call Bennett uh, an accidental prime minister. So really, the important question that everyone's looking at, because the prime minister in Israel is so such a dominant figure, um, how is Prime Minister Naftali Bennett doing so far?
1: As everything in Israel, it's comp. I think the answer is that it's complicated. Um... First of all, we should say, you know, um, a political accident, yes or no. We are in a very unique situation, that uh, unprecedented situation in Israeli politics, where the government is led by a leader of a party which has only six seats. Um, and throughout all of Israel's history, the leader of the largest party or the second largest party, meaning someone coming from a party of 29 or 30 seats, He was the prime minister. And the fact that now we have this new form of government and this new, I would say, cooperative in which Naftali Bennett is basically just one of many. Right. He's even weaker than many of his political partners inside the coalition. This really, in, in many ways, this defines the way the government is working. And it also defines his premiership. Because as opposed to Netanyahu, for instance, who, unfortunately, he's the only comparison that I have as a reporter. But as a opposed to Netanyahu, who was, you know, like this very strong leader and everything was like very orderly. When you have six seats and you're um, sitting in a government where everyone, you know, as you said, the, the majority is just one vote. So everyone potentially can be someone who can bring down your government. You are substantially weaker than Netanyahu, and that means you have to, you know, adopt different ways of managing. So, Naftali Bennett is not necessarily so much, you know, giving orders up to down, but more trying, you know, to run this ish to run the government like really like a cooperative of a few, you know, CEOs. Um, that his main um, challenge since he met, entered office, you know. Basically, a week after he entered office, the, sec- the fourth wave of the COVID virus broke out. So that has been his main, um, I would say, test or challenge in the past uh, three or so months. Um, and, you know, he also took a diff- totally different strategy than Netanyahu did and the previous government did. So I would say that Bennett, you know, his main asset is that he's not Netanyahu. Um, that gives him that's what brought him to where he is, to the premiership. Mm-hmm. But that also helps him very much in the international arena. If I would right. tell you that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden and President e- Egyptian President Assisi would open their har- arms warmly to Naftali Bennett, who essentially, right, is very close to being a one stater. Um, right. then would Exactly. And pro annexation against any concessions to the Palestinians. And here we see that all the leaders in the world, and not only Biden and uh, Sisi, who already met him, but also Angela Merkel, who's arriving here in Israel next week, all of the leaders, and of course Jordan, you know, there's been a warm-up in the relationship with Jordan in the past few weeks since the new government was established. So all of this together is mainly not because Naftali Bennett is, you know, some groundbreaking, trailblazing leader, but because he's not Netanyahu. And that, I think, is his main asset. Um, and he has problems. Um, not every, it's not easy to run a government where everyone has equal power to you or even stronger than you. And we're seeing that slowly, slowly define, you know, for instance, Benny Gantz, the defense minister, Nitan Horovitz, the, lead, the leader of Meretz, they both went to Ramallah to meet with Abu Mazen for the first time in years. Bennett didn't want that to happen. And they went even though he didn't want them to go. And can you imagine that anyone in Netanyahu's government would go anywhere without him approving? No. So here's, you know, that's the main, I think, the main difference.
0: Right. So Netanyahu was the sun and the moon. Everything revolved around him. Bennett, just because of his political position, has to be... uh, Let's say first among equals uh, at the very best. So it is a very different political context, and I think uh, that's right. You know, Bennett has to uh, approach it very differently than Netanyahu did. Uh, just in terms of the the details of how Bennett has done so far. So you mentioned the handling of the fourth wave of uh, the COVID pandemic. He's kept the country open uh, while also. Uh, rolling out a a third booster shot uh, the first rollout of boosters in the world which seems to be working uh thankfully uh the numbers are dropping here in israel after a spike in july and august and and early this month or early last month in september uh so on the one hand he's dealing with the COVID pandemic uh he's prime minister right he goes to new york to address the u.n he goes to egypt to meet with assisi and and to washington to meet with biden uh, he gives press conferences, he's issuing statements. So he is uh, prime minister, uh, and the, the, the sun has risen over Tel Aviv, uh, mm-hmm. Israel is still here, so there is life after Netanyahu. But on the flip side, we have seen certain moments, right, maybe mm-hmm. not in terms of policy, but just in terms of maybe style and statements coming out of the prime minister's office, maybe certain missteps on various issues. Uh, he's been criticized, uh, for instance, by the health officials here for mentioning them uh, in his UN speech. Uh, he had certain statements with regard to Abu Mazen and the Palestinians and the Temple Mount and the Haram al-Sharif in Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. Uh, and like you said, he hasn't really Uh, elevated his political position beyond, let's say, a handful of seats, six, seven, eight seats. Uh, So he's kind of at a standstill politically. Um, How do you balance those two those two things? Right. Uh, That, you know, there's a lot of positive in the sense that he is acting like a prime minister. He is the prime minister of Israel. But on the flip side, maybe some growing pains.
1: I think, A, that's exactly what uh, growing pains is exactly what we're seeing with Bennett. I'm not sure, by the way, that a country can afford itself to have growing pains in the prime minister's office, but that's probably for a different discussion. Um, But yeah, um, I think, A, almost every new government has several missteps. It could be that we're seeing here in Israel with Bennett more missteps. We should say something about Bennett himself and also about the people surrounding him. Bennett is one of the youngest prime ministers Israel has ever had. Um and he himself, we you know, we know him from his political career. I wouldn't say he's necessarily, you know, the most grown-up um personality in the world, right? He's very um he's very static. Um he's like from the startup, uh he comes from, you know, he has this startup history. So he's all about innovation and moving all the time and be- being very hectic. And his um, you know, his aquarium, the people surrounding him. Are also very young um, and he doesn't really have anyone you know old with gravitas around him any and a very experienced advisor I personally believe that's one of the problems maybe Bennett himself could be you know the grown-up but Bennett himself doesn't have the personality to act like that you know in a very grown-up manner and be the responsible manner and I think many of the misstep missteps come from that area Um, Also, we should say that even though it seems like Bennett has been very successful with the COVID-19 and the booster operation, there have been uh, over 1,400 dead people since... uh, uh, People have died from corona um, since Bennett entered office. Um, And there are... There's a lot of chaos going on in the schools. Um, It's true that he he, you know... He picked a totally different uh, um, strategy and he's leaving everything open. But we should also say he didn't really have a choice. The uh, finance minister of Wigdor Lieberman told him very early on, I'm not going to give you any money to compensate for closing down the businesses. You know, Netanyahu used to have this with his finance minister, Israel Katz. They had this special boxes of budgets that they would uh, put out for the co- for covid-19 in order to compensate the businesses that were closed during the closures and the lockdowns well this time bennett's uh finance minister told him that's not going to happen so it's not as if really bennett had a real choice there right he couldn't just close down the uh close down the markets and not give uh businesses compensation he just didn't have the privilege to do that um now, regarding uh, Bennett's popularity, I think, A, you know, he should be happy that he hasn't lost popularity, right? Um, he still is has about the same amount of votes um, in polls that he got in the last elections. It's true that Bennett was un- had this dream or had this theory that the minute he'll become prime minister, he'll start building a new base, and we're not seeing that happen yet. But, A, I think, it really hasn't been too long. There has like too much, There hasn't been too much time. Not enough time. Sorry, not enough time has passed um, to measure that, or for for the political support of Bennett to have an impact. Then B, we have to say, you know, Bennett made a very Uh, some people would say courageous move, other people would say a stupid move, right? Because (laughs) he went against at least 50% of his base and he went against his natural base and now he has to find a new electorate. And his new electorate is probably not on the right-wing side. It's probably somewhere more to the center. So I think um, Bennett's challenge in the upcoming months is to find and define this new base, but we should say there are a lot of people competing on the same base, right? So now we have Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid and Victor Lieberman and Gideon Saar. All of these people are, you know, competing on some electorate that is between, you know, the center to the left, uh, to the right. And um, it's becoming and it's going to be very, very complicated. That's why most people assume that coming the next elections, wherever they will be, ahead of the next elections, there will be some kind of, you know, uh, unification or alliance between Bennett and Gantz or between Bennett mm-hmm. and Sal. Um, and that is probably where things will be going in the next elections. And of course, I ho- we hope that we have some time till the next elections.
0: Yes. Uh, like we said, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Not wish for. Uh, but it's true, right? Bennett. Uh, a lot of his traditional right-wing religious nationalist base very angry that he turned his back on Bibi Netanyahu and the right and cut this deal with the center and the left. And
1: It's not um, only, I just want to say, it's not only turning his back on Netanyahu. We should say that Bennett did break his election promises by forming this government. Now, if you want to, I don't really give a lot about, I don't really give, I don't care about election promises. I think at large they're, meant to be broken but if we look at
0: like a spoken like a true political reporter
1: exactly but um but bennett from his point of view you know he committed more more than once during the last elections that he will not form a government with the left and that he will not form a government with braham and then he went and did both of them and while bennett is trying you know we didn't get, start talking about how, is this government left or right or center and how exactly can it do it? But we should say many elements in Bennett's government are independent and they have a left-wing agenda. And, you know, if we think about this visit, this visit, uh, this marathon of visits to Abu Mazin, to Abbas in Ramallah, for Bennett, this is very problematic. So I think that it's more of it's 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 not only disappointment about turning their back against Netanyahu, but it's more about, you know, taking this ideological leap, which not all of Bennett's uh this is not what Bennett's voters signed up for. That being said, there are of course some voters that voted for Bennett and they think he's doing a good job and that he saved the country from a fifth election. And some of them are also happy that Netanyahu is gone. But the general, you know, the general atmosphere in the right wing base um, is that Bennett basically reneged on his election promises, and there's a lot of anger towards him and Ayala Chaked because of that.
0: Right, right. Uh, anger is maybe understating it, just given uh, right wing rhetoric and social media, and uh, even just conversations with Netanyahu supporters. They're furious at Bennett and his partner, Ayala mm-hmm. Um Let me ask you this so the new government, like you said, fairly young but it's been in power now for a little over three months uh if you were to rank the issues that it has dealt with in order of priority i'll give you my list but i want to get your your take on it um where do where do things stand on various policy issues and this by the way might surprise people my list i would put uh the covid fourth wave number one Mm -hmm. i would put uh passage of the budget uh you mentioned the first reading in the Knesset passed uh, last month, uh, they have to pass a budget by early November, or else uh, the government is uh, dissolved automatically so that's uh, really the the legislative priority number number one for the government to pass a budget very soon uh, and then number three uh, and it's been in the news now for for several months uh the rising violent crime and, and murders in the arab Israeli towns and cities um, so I would put those three. At the top, and then really, to my mind, everything else, right, which might come as a surprise to some listeners. So everything from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in Gaza, uh, settlements, the U.S.-Israel relationship, Iran, uh, outreach to the, the Arab states, further normalization uh, with the Gulf, uh, issues of religion and state. I would put that, all of those issues, secondary almost to the top three. What do you think?
1: I totally agree. I I perhaps would put the budget a number one and not number two, because I think that, you know, the budget is the main goal of this government to begin with. Um, They weren't planning on dealing with COVID-19 with the fourth wave. Uh, When when this government was sworn in, it was it seemed like the COVID-19 was over. Um, So I think budget is the most important goal and an achievement, of course, when they pass it in the final readings in two months in a few weeks time, I think uh, I I totally agree that this government has internal issues and domestic issues prioritized over, you know, foreign policy, which is what we we, what we've grown used to in the past few years. Also, because, uh, you know, foreign policy is something that not necessarily there's consensus about in the government. Put aside the Iranian issue, other issues um, that have to, of course, that have to do with the Palestinians, the two-state solution, just bringing them up divides the government. And I think one of the main goals of all of the people sitting around this table, at, at least at the beginning, is to you know, put aside whatever divides and, you know, they t- they have this cliché that we agree about um 80% of the things and we don't agree about 20% of the things. I don't know if that's a percentage or it's the opposite. And we should only deal with the things that we agree upon. That means putting aside many issues that there is no agreement on. And I think that in the in- domestic, you know, in the domestic arena, it's much easier uh, to right. find agreements and consensus. That being said, they have arguments about COVID-19. They've had very difficult arguments about them. And you mentioned earlier that Bennett himself has been in this ongoing row with the health, minister, health ministry officials um, regarding um, his policy on COVID-19. There have been fights. Um, there, there are constant fights on Twitter, for instance, between the right and wing sides of this government on various policy issues, because you can't really put aside, you know, you can't really put aside whatever you want, especially not in the Middle East. Um, And I think, uh, but I also want to say that I think another achievement of this government, and of course, we're still early to actually rate it, but you also mentioned this at the beginning, is the fact that they, in the past three or four months, have succeeded to live in a parliamentary coexistence um, and a political coexistence with Ra'am, with the list of Mansour Abbas, and actually proving for the first time in many, many, many years that civic cooperation, even on the political level, can work uh, between Israeli men, Israeli Jews and Arabs. And I think that that is very, very important. Of course, we have to see that it'll it will continue and it will succeed, and that Ram gets what it wants from this uh cooperation and from this partnership. Right. But I think that the fact that the partnership is working, even even in the past few months, we've had some very, you know, I would say uh sensitive events that could have rattled out rattled down this partnership and it survived them. Um, the so I think that's a, a major achievement of this government. I also think that if this government does not survive then the main implication will be that it'll be very difficult to reinstate such kind, so, such a, this type of cooperation between uh, Arab uh, and uh, Israeli Jews in the Knesset and the parliament.
0: Right. We should remind our listeners, uh, Mansour Abbas is the head of the Ram faction in the Knesset. Uh, it's an Arab Islamist party that was initially uh, courted by Bibi Netanyahu to at least support a potential uh, coalition government led by him. Uh, those talks didn't, didn't bear fruit. And Mansour Abbas uh, took essentially the same deal that he had with Bibi and just transferred it to Bennett and the Yair Lapid-led coalition. And that's how uh, the government was able to be formed back in the summer. So uh, all thanks go to Bibi Netanyahu for actually uh, making this Islamist faction kosher in terms of uh, national Israeli politics. Uh, that's an important point that that I think Netanyahu and his supporters uh, have uh, have perhaps forgotten. Uh, selective amnesia, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't... totally selective. They haven't forgotten. They just they're trying to rewrite their narrative. Right. And their narrative now is playing against the cooperation and against the fact that this government uh, needs Ram to survive. Um, but yes, very, very short memory.
0: Yes. Uh so bearing down into how this new Israeli government functions, right? So we've been talking about Naftali Bennett and Mansour Abbas, uh, but really the architect of this coalition government and and the alternate prime minister of this coalition government is uh, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, uh, the centrist head of the Yishatid faction. Uh, it's interesting to me, and maybe maybe you agree, maybe you don't agree, uh, but Lapid has almost taken kind of a back seat. Uh, to Bennett and other leading figures in the government. Uh, you know, Lapita is very active diplomatically. He's he's traveled a lot. Uh, he's opened uh, embassies and consulates in the Gulf. He's traveled to Morocco. Uh, he's set to be in Washington next week for high-level meetings with the Biden administration. Uh, he's gone to Europe. Uh, but really, in terms of domestic politics and and even the, the public uh, running of the government, it almost seems like he's he's uh, let Bennett take the lead, uh, which maybe wasn't a given when this government was formed, because uh, Lapide, the Yeshatid faction, is the largest faction by far in the government. Uh, and and he uh, he was able to to cobble together this coalition government. So where where do you think Lapide is in all this?
1: Well, A, we should say that Lapid has reached his dream job. You know, there aren't many people inside this government that dreamt exactly on the place where they uh, reached out. And Lapid, you know, besides being prime minister, of course, which is his main dream, but beforehand, his dream is to be foreign minister. It has been his dream for many, many years. So first of all, like when we think about all of his a uh, foreign uh, activity and what you described—you know how active he is in his office. That's because a he re- he's really happy to be there, um, and he's really enjoying it. Um, now, regarding his place inside the government, it's true that on the outside he's very non-dominant, and he's definitely very different from you know Benny Gantz's alternate prime minister in the previous government. Exactly. Lapid is basically letting Bennett lead. Um, And you're right. I don't think he's doing it, I think, from, a, I would say, from a friendly place, Uh, from letting Bennett, you know, build himself as a leader. If we would see Bennett and Lapid divided every time they would go together, you know, to have, for instance, in Netanyahu's government every week, the weekly cabinet meeting, there was a statement from both Netanyahu and Benny Gantz because that's what Gantz insisted on. Lapid doesn't insist on this. He hardly even uses his uh, title as alternate prime minister. So A, this is out of friendliness, and B, this is out of a place of you know letting Bennett uh, build his image as prime, as prime minister. Um, behind the scenes, he's much more active. Behind the scenes, he's uh, a really, uh, you know, Lapid probably is one of the people with the highest interest that this government survives, because if he reaches November, um, in August 2023, he will become prime minister if this government survives. So he's really actively working behind the scenes, meeting with the partners. Don't forget that also Avigdor Lieberman, the finance minister, is Lapid's closest ally. So. Um, in many ways, Lieberman is also a very significant figure inside this government, right? By passing the budget, um, Lapid is not only doing himself a big favor, but he's also doing, um, Lieberman and Lapid are also helping, you know, Bennett doing him a big favor, giving him stability and giving his government to his stability. There is a big question about Lapid, and that's, you know, the million-dollar question, is will Lapid, ever see the rotation agreement Um, and will Naftali Bennett respect it or more importantly will Benny Gantz let him become prime minister in August 2023 and I think uh, that's after the budget will be passed that will be if the budget is passed in its final reading that'll be the main question on the table will Lapid actually become prime minister by the way when you look at the polls, Lapid is in the best situation besides Bibi. He's the only politician who's grown stronger in the past few months since the election. So, right. you know, even, it's, it's also not bad. He's the only one who really doesn't have to be afraid of elections. While, for instance, Bennett and Guido Sal, really, if there's a early elections, they're going to be in a very bad situation.
0: Right. The the threat of the government not holding uh, out of anybody, Lapid has an interest in in having it hold because he has the prize of being prime minister uh, after Bennett rotates out and he'll rotate in. Uh, but Lapid isn't necessarily afraid of an election, unlike pretty much everyone else in in exactly. the current coalition government. Uh, it's true. Uh, you touched on something that's really interesting to me, and I think it's important to unpack, uh, the role and, and maybe the psychology of Benny Gantz. So Benny Gantz is the defense minister. Uh, last year in the short-lived uh, unity government with Netanyahu, he was both alternate prime minister and defense minister. So he's really the only holdover from, from the previous government. And almost from the start, it doesn't seem like Benny Gantz is happy. Uh, he's he's uh, photographed and, and filmed oftentimes with a frown on his face. Uh, there are constant reports about him uh, being dissatisfied with his role in the government. That he's uh, potentially exploring options with uh, Netanyahu's Likud and an alternate government that would see him become prime minister, uh, like he was supposed to under his agreement with Bibi uh, next month in November. Uh, Benny Gantz Day uh, is set to to come and come and pass next uh, next month. So. What is Gantz's deal? Because outwardly, right, he's defense minister, very powerful position in any government. Um, he's has his 10 fingers in all issues happening here, whether it's the coronavirus response. Gaza, he's taking the lead on outreach to the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. Uh, he's obviously very intimately involved in Iran and, and every other security issue here in Israel. So why isn't Benny Gantz happy? Benny
1: Gantz isn't happy because every morning he wakes up um, and he sees Naftali Bennett sitting in a chair that he thinks he was supposed to enter in a month's time, as you said. And he knows that in two years' time, Yair Lapid will be the one entering that seat. And he genuinely believes that he was supposed to get that seat. Now, Benny Gantz, as opposed to all of the other partners in this government, he's the only player that actually had an option, besides Ram as well. I mean, he's the only one who had an offer from Netanyahu and from the Likud to join an alternate government, an offer that still exists as we speak. So from Benny Gantz, in, in Benny Gantz's state of mind, every morning when he wakes up, he thinks, I could be prime minister. And he sees Naftali Bennett sitting sitting in his seat. Now it's true that he um, they they try to treat him very respectfully. They try, you know, to go walk around tiptoeing him around him um, just to make sure that he's happy. Um, and he's not happy. It's also true that he has much more authority and independence that he had under Netanyahu. Um, Bennett is.
0: Who made exactly. his life who made his life miserable, we should add. It wasn't marriage. But was you a terrible said earlier merit.
1: short memory or short span amnesia, Omashu. Um Yeah. So right, Ben Gansa, uh, I think in a way, you know, um, he finds he's also older than most of the partners in this government. And I think in a way he found himself much more comfortable um how with the Likud and with the ultra orthodox politicians, whom he has a very good relationship with. That being said, the you know the option of joining a government with Netanyahu realistically and practically is very very complicated, and Benny Gantz will probably not have any support for that. So the main goal of him, you know, floating these offers and these explorations all the time with Netanyahu or the ultra orthodox politicians. The main goal of it is mainly, you know, to remind all of his partners, remember, I am the only one who can bring you down and you should treat me with respect. Now, up until now, they've been quite okay doing that. Um, They've been doing quite a good job on, you know, I would say, flirting or at least uh, sweet-talking Benny Gantz and helping him feel good. But I think that as, as time goes by, uh, we're seeing that even Bennett and Lapid are kind of fed up, you know, with uh, how do we solve a problem like Benny? That's the question that everyone's asking. And they're kind of fed up with that question exactly from the reasons you mentioned, because, dude, you're in a you're you're a defense minister and you have a lot of authority. So what's the problem? The problem is that Benny Gantz wants to be prime minister right. and he's um, frustrated that it's not him.
0: Right. Uh, I should say I interviewed Benny Gantz for Foreign Policy magazine last month, and I was in his office uh, for, for over an hour, uh, mostly a policy-related discussion, uh, Iran, the Palestinians, uh, Afghanistan. Uh, but at the end, I asked him about his own political journey uh, over the past few years and how he views uh, really the past year and a half, ever since he, he cut a deal with Netanyahu last year and became alternate prime minister and defense minister. and He said two interesting things. Number one, he wouldn't really commit uh, to the current government. I asked him, you know, so can you reassure people, the public and people on the outside of Israel, you know, that this government will last? And he said, well, hopefully it'll last. Uh, Not entirely a a resounding vote of confidence. Uh, And then he said a second thing, which which is interesting. From Benny Gantz's point of view, he was the one who stopped Netanyahu through three successive elections from actually forming a government. From Benny Gantz's point of view, he took half of Netanyahu's government last year when they cut a deal. And this time around, from Benny Gantz's point of view, he replaced Netanyahu. Uh, again, it's from his point of view, it's it's a slightly selective uh, history, uh, but he really views as uh, himself as being vindicated uh, in his past decisions and and he really views himself as the key cog in in stopping Netanyahu and and toppling Netanyahu. So it's interesting, the, both psychological and political ongoing um, yes story, say,
1: like uh, you know, in the gossip, in the gossip part of our job. Um, in it's very interesting to see that more than Netanyahu, like, one would expect Netanyahu to be Benny Gantz's nemesis, but no, his nemesis is Yair Lapid, and it's interesting to see that. Even, you know, tr- the trauma of sitting under a government with Netanyahu and him breaking him promises, his promises towards Gantz and the agreements towards with Gantz, this trauma is not as big as the trauma he has from breaking up Blue and White and the relationship with Yair Lapid. Um, and I think that's interesting. You know, L- Lapid is his nemesis m- more than Netanyahu is. Um, and that's really interesting on the psychological level, perhaps because they also started out as partners and as allies and it broke up and the breaking up was so, you know, hurtful. But it seems like Gantz prefers Netanyahu on Lapid when basically, you know, Lapid was almost his BFF, right?
0: Right. Uh, it was a long, in, politi- in Israeli political terms, and successful marriage uh that broke up very badly uh as we know we won't rehash uh the history of last year Uh, but looking back though and one person we haven't delved into in detail is benjamin netanyahu uh so you had a scoop i think a few days ago that uh, Bibi netanyahu is writing a Mm -hmm. book right uh very very interesting development uh, can you tell us a bit more about what the book is about? And really, where does Netanyahu find himself now that he's no longer prime minister and, and just opposition? So first of
1: all, before the book, we should say that Netanyahu had, I think, one of the best summers he probably had in the past 12 years. Um, he went on his first vacation. So the scandals with Netanyahu, you know, we're, we're so used to reporting on Netanyahu 15 times a day now. We have to. We're, it's only, but it's it's mainly like paparazzi and gossip. Uh, what we had during the summer. But Netanyahu went on his first su- summer vacation with his family to Hawaii to, to Hawaii. Larry Ellison's private island. Um, and he kind of, you know, um, I think for the first time, he took a vacation from the country, but he also gave the country a vacation from himself. Um, So it was like this um, almost a month in which uh, nobody really knew what's going on with Netanyahu besides some paparazzi photos from this island. Um, And during this month, apparently, he had started to uh, write a book. He probably started even earlier, uh, but I understand he's been writing it for three or four months. Um, Of course, um, his own office will not disclose any details about this, but I do know um that it's uh, supposed to be in english and it's intended to come out first um of course in the united states that means um that it's a totally different level of market uh from Netanyahu's point of view compared to the very small book market in hebrew and israel it also means um and this is like the anecdote uh, you know Netanyahu he's not prime minister anymore but his trial is still going on and his trial is, can be taking can take A few more years, at least that's the expectation now. That means that he's going to need to pay a lot of money for his lawyers, uh, to his lawyers. And he has very good lawyers, meaning he's going to have to pay them a lot of money. And writing books is essentially the only way Netanyahu, legal way that Netanyahu or any other uh, Knesset member can, um, you know, raise a big amount of money um, in order to pay for the lawyers because Netanyahu is not allowed to get contributions and he's hardly allowed, uh, you know, to touch his own uh, personal... There are a lot of limitations on his own personal uh, money, So, but there's no legal limitation on book contracts, uh, meaning that Netanyahu probably is going to be paid a lot of money in advance for this book, which will probably serve to, pill his, like, to pay his legal, legal bills. Um, now... Netanyahu is leader of the opposition. It's fascinating. A, um, the country is slowly, you know, in rehab. So he himself is also in rehab. Um, it's I think he's not very I, I would say he's not very stable because like on one day he can come to the Knesset this week. We saw him in the opening plenum on the Knesset. He was Full of energy and he looked exactly like Netanyahu of the old days, you know, like this killer Netanyahu giving this killer speech um, with a lot of catchphrases and the king of the rhetoric, you know. But then three days later, Mm -hmm. you don't hear about him and then you don't really see exactly how what the opposition is doing and the opposition is not really succeeding in embarrassing the coalition. So... There's a growing, and of course we didn't mention what's going on inside the Likud. The minute Netanyahu lost power, Likud started to boil and there are a lot of people in the Likud, you know, the next generation in the Likud, who are waiting for Netanyahu to retire and they assume that it could very well happen every day now. So everyone's preparing for the race to replace Netanyahu, but only after Netanyahu leaves, even though he's not leaving anymore. So this puts us In this kind of situation where everyone is kind of, you know, eyeing Netanyahu and examining is he on his way to retirement, trying to understand the signs. Is he going to retire? Is he going to continue? Of course, he says that he's continuing and he has no plans of retiring, but at least the dynamics around him, people are starting to wait. When is he going to retire?
0: Do you think he's
1: about to retire
0: or will he stick around as opposition leader and see in any other future election, you know, he'll roll the dice again.
1: I think that first of all, uh, after the budget passes in the second and third uh, reading next month, and that's when Netanyahu will start to have to, you know, make his decisions about where he's going with his life. If he wants to wake after, after the budget um passes, the, you know, the the common assumption is that the government will exist at least two more years till the next budget. Um, that means that uh, Netanyahu right. will have to decide if he wants to pass. The, he's, you know, he's going to be 72 this year, so he's going to have to decide if he wants to continue um in the opposition in the next 2 years and wait for the chance and or he wants to you know try def- something else many people are offering Netanyahu various offers or plans there's some people telling it I've been telling Netanyahu inside the Likud Likud members telling Netanyahu you should retire just so this government breaks apart and then you can come back after the election we assure you you'll be elected to the head of the Likud well, of course, that's a bit too risky for mm-hmm. what we know from Netany- for Netanyahu's nature, which is usually quite uh, cautious. But we we hear a lot of variations on this. And I think it also a lot of it depends on what's going to happen in court, right? At the end of the day, Netanyahu doesn't want to go to jail. And if he feels that the everything's safe in court and that he can continue this way, um as leader of the opposition then he might as well continue as leader of the opposition but if he feels that the fact that he's not prime minister anymore and now he's just leader of the opposition that changes his dynamics in the courtroom he might as well you know try and uh, check a deal and try to see if he can get a bargain deal again yep. these are things that netanyahu and his surroundings deny constantly but they're in the air and there are options and people around Netanyahu are talking more and more about some kind of legal arrangement that will end the trial or at least halt it And in exchange for Netanyahu retiring.
0: Gotcha. Uh, so, final question. Uh, 1A, do you expect the budget to pass in the next couple of weeks? And 1B, if it does pass, Where does the government head from there? Uh, What will the agenda be? Uh, You said it'll it'll likely hold if the budget passes. So what will they do with that newfound stability and that newfound time?
1: So everyone thinks that the budget is going to pass because everyone thinks that there's, uh, you know, the common uh, denomination of this government is to replace Netanyahu and, you know, passing the budget is the best way to keep Netanyahu away from his office, and B, Another common denomination of this government is that many of them do not want elections. That's why they all have an interest in passing the budget. I want to suggest that, A, nothing is ever sure in politics, and that's because this uh, coalition really is built on one vote majority. Um, Things can happen. There will be dramas on the way, and there will be moments in which it'll be very unclear, will this government survive? And I want to suggest that, uh, you know, we're not very good in predictions, so let's pass the budget and then see. But if the budget, budget does pass, I think it's actually going to be the beginning of a very difficult time in the coalition, because up until now, more or less, everyone was really trying to behave because everyone knows that we need the budget to pass and we don't have time to fight about small fights and about the thing or not necessarily small, but it's not the time to fight these ideological fights that we have between us after the budget passes. people will be okay, we can fight because it doesn't mean that the government's going to fall necessarily, so we can we have right. you know we have the space and the room to fight so for instance, there are a lot of small issues that people have been that people are postponing till after the budget um, and another interesting. Um, focus of the government and the coalition after the budget passes is and we didn't talk about that all, at all is um, this uh, bulk of legislation against Netanyahu which is initiated now or pushed now by uh, Justice Minister Guido Nsav. He's pushing two different bills uh, one that would uh, um, limit the tenure of prime ministers to eight years and the other one who would uh, make it impossible for someone with uh, indict- someone who's been indicted to become prime minister, and he's also promoting this uh, um, special committee, special investigation committee on the submarine affair. All of these initiatives are initiatives that, at large, the the coalition most of it supports it, but still they're very controversial, um, and they're also they're going to be a big challenge for this government, and they might also strengthen Netanyahu. Because, you know, all of these initiatives are perceived as anti Netanyahu, totally personal, and that might bolster his support. And by the way, Netanyahu is doing great in the polls, really great. He's only growing stronger. So I think uh, that's going to be the next challenge of the government. After the budget.
0: Right. The Right. The. The paradox of Bibi Netanyahu is that he's still the single most popular politician in the country. Uh, Likud is still the largest party in the country, both in the Knesset and in the polls, uh, and yet he still doesn't have a government. Uh, he still will uh, will be unlikely to form a government if and when uh, another election is called. Uh, fascinating times. Uh, we're going to leave the conversation with Tal there, but before we go We wanted to announce two new segments for future podcasts. Uh, Number one is a segment called Listener Emails. Uh, We want to make this podcast more interactive. Uh, We want to hear from you. uh, What issues interest you? What are you curious about? What would you like us to to discuss and touch on in future podcasts? So you can email uh, policypod at ipforum.org, policypod at ipforum.org. And you can write it anonymously as well if you like, Uh, just include that in the email, and we'll choose uh, the good listener email questions uh, to answer in our upcoming podcasts. And then we also have a second uh, new segment, uh, which we're gonna call Curation Corner. Uh, Tal, as you know better than most, uh, there's a lot of content out there, uh, whether rival podcasts, uh, articles, Instagram, Facebook, uh, not to mention Twitter. There's a lot of content out there uh, for you to choose from. We, going forward, would like to highlight our favorite recent pieces, uh, whether by other journalists touching on Israel, or uh, books that have come out, or even movies or TV shows. Uh, but anything that we feel that you should check out. Uh, so I'll I'll go first, Tal. Mm-hmm. I know I might be I might be dropping on you this uh, a bit of a surprise in the last minute, uh, but. I think people should really check out a recent interview done by one of your colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, Amir Bukhbut, uh, the military correspondent at Walla News, which is a very uh, popular online news portal here in Israel. Uh, so Amir interviewed the outgoing head of the Israeli military intelligence, uh, Major General Tamir Heyman. And this article, this interview was published uh, early this week and two things really struck me about the interview uh both related to iran uh number one uh the the general said uh he calmed our nerves uh there was some growing speculation in recent weeks that iran was on the verge of breaking out uh to a nuclear weapon or or maybe sneaking out to a nuclear weapon uh enriching uranium at greater greater enrichment rates and at greater volume along with other uh very suspicious nuclear work Uh, But the general reassured us uh, that Iran was still two years away from actually uh, creating and building a deliverable nuclear weapon. Uh, So that actually was very interesting just in terms of where the Iran policy debate is at at the moment. And then he said another thing that was interesting that, uh, you know, the right thing to do for Israel and America and other relevant actors is to go with the... uh, the right thing to do with regard to Iran is to go forward on the diplomatic track and to try to reach a better deal with Iran with regard to its nuclear program. Uh, again, not, not a thing said lightly uh, by a senior Israeli official like this, although we have seen more and more senior Israeli officials, uh, including Benny Gantz in an interview with me, say that uh, diplomacy is the preferable track uh, as opposed to perhaps more military action. Uh, so that's my recommendation. We're going to include links to to this article, uh, as well as a very uh, able uh, English roundup of this interview with uh, with General Hayman, uh, done by Annie Arenheim at the Jerusalem Post. So we're going to link to those two pieces. Uh, Tal, what do you have uh, in the curation corner for for our listeners?
1: So since you recommended something in Hebrew, I feel free to do so as well. And apologies with our listeners. I hope this is. Uh... Um, translated into English very soon, I'm going to um, recommend uh, the book by one of my colleagues, um, The Story of Israeli Politics uh, by Amit Segal, um, which is probably going to be one of the best, biggest bestsellers here in Israel this year, um, which is essentially, I think, one of the books. I've never read a book like this, and maybe you have, Neri and you remember better than me, but I can't recall such a book, uh, A, that's easy reading, but in very beautiful Hebrew, um, but that actually, you know, tells the story of all of the prime ministers in Israeli uh, history. Each one of, you know, some of them we who we've forgotten, like Moshe Sharet or uh, Levi Eshkol, not forgotten, but not necessarily so famous. And small anecdotes about them. Um, I think that it's uh, a it's just a very, very, I would say, um, knowledgeable book, Um, easy reading. And I think it's the first ontology that uh, Israeli politics has has had, um, at least uh, one that, uh, you know, a popular one. Um, And of course, this has become a bestseller. Um, Amit put out this book, uh, published this book in his in an independent publishing, which even makes it even more interesting. This is not through, you know, the traditional book stars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and mm. if you want to read about Ben Gurion and Golda Meir and, you know, not necessarily many of the things in the book I've known, but, you know, presented in the way they have been. But there are a lot of things I didn't know. I learned a lot of things that I didn't know before. And also the way that it's presented, um, I I totally recommend it, and hopefully it'll be, I mean, check with Amit if he's going to translate it to English anytime soon, maybe bringing on your podcast.
0: Yeah, it's actually a uh, a good idea. Uh, (laughs) Amit Segal, he's a a prominent uh, political commentator on Channel 12, uh, the biggest and most popular uh, news channel here in Israel, and Uh, Maybe perhaps less known outside of Israel to English-speaking audience, but in Israel, he's uh, very well-known and very influential. Uh, So that's a great recommendation, Tal. Uh, I will be sure to read Amit's book myself very soon. Um, Before we leave, uh, I'd just like to draw your attention to an upcoming report that Israel Policy Forum is launching publicly next Tuesday, October 12th, Uh, There'll also be a special webinar on that same day, Tuesday, October 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, The report is called The New Normal, Arab Normalization and the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, authored by IPF's own Michael Koplow, Shira Efron, and Evan Gottesman. Uh, And registration for the webinar will be accessible on the IPF homepage at israelpolicyforum.org. So please do check out that report coming next week uh, tal uh welcome back to work uh the holidays are over we're all back to reality and thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us today
1: thank you and to everyone will meet in our next holidays
0: uh not coming anytime soon december
1: no at least not here
0: right there are other holidays in other places exactly. take care